Blog Talk Radio. Let me define what the Catholic Church's position on this is, all right? Quote, non-Christians who seek God with a sincere heart, which would be Gandhi, and moved by his grace, try to do his will as they know it through the dictates of conscience, can also be saved without water baptism. They are said to desire it implicitly. Implicitly, that is called baptism of desire. I was taught that in the third grade. Many liberal organizations, including the United Nations, are pursuing the development of a one-world religious organization. The first-ever Millennium World Peace Summit of Religious and Spiritual Leaders took place at the United Nations in August. And some believe it marked the first major step toward a movement to usher in a global spiritual body that may one day speak for all religions. The Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad getting a powerful new ally in a standoff with the West. Russia's President Vladimir Putin is now backing Iran's right to nuclear power and warning the rest of the world not to use military action against Iran. You will hear of war and rumors of war. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. This is Rapture Ready Radio Live with Chris Quintana and Matt Buck. The church doesn't just teach that mass murderers go to hell. They teach that people like Gandhi go to hell. And that puts God in a very difficult place. We're turning God into a monster by teaching of a literal hell. Which church teaches that? Which church teaches that? My church doesn't teach that. Catholic church doesn't teach that. The conservative church does teach that. And the evangelical yeah, evangelicals, but other, other segments of the church teach a literal hell for anyone who doesn't accept Jesus. Okay, I but think that, it's a theological, historical the, mistake. In the Christian community, with all due respect to evangelicals, who we do respect, uh, I think that's an extreme position. Welcome to Rapture Ready Radio. This is the Live Tuesday show with Matt Buffet and Chris Quintana with you tonight. Glad everybody can join us. We have a very special show for you tonight. Nathan Jones from Lamb Lion Ministries will be joining us later. And we have a big topic that we're going to cover tonight. Basically, what those two pinheads right there were talking about, that would be Bill O'Reilly and Pastor Jack McKinney, who actually counsels pastors, both talking about the extreme faction of the church that believes in hell. They both agree that people like Gandhi, who, well, we'll get into Gandhi in a second, but other people who lead a good life have no chance of getting into hell. And then Jack McKinney, of course, denying hell's existence altogether. We are going to break this down in depth and talk about a lot of things that happened after the resurrection. We celebrated that last week, Chris, and now we got to talk about what choices do we have, heaven or hell? Yeah, I listen to that kind of stuff, and it just makes me crazy when I listen to a couple of people try to wax philosophic about stuff that they've never taken the time to study. I'm reminded, um, actually, that we're going through the book of Mark on Wednesday nights at our church, and uh, in chapter 7, there was this part where um, the disciples hadn't washed their hands the way that they were supposed to before eating, and it was so offensive to the Pharisees that they chastised Jesus about, hey, your disciples didn't wash their hands. And, of course, this washing of the hands was not something that the law told them they were supposed to do. It was the edicts of men, and it was traditions. 
And, uh, you know, when Bill says my church doesn't teach that, well, if he understood what his church taught, that there is no salvation outside of Catholicism, if he wants to be honest with it. But, you know, be that as it may, it reminds me of Jesus saying this in verse 6 of uh, of Mark chapter 7. He says, he answered them and he said to them, well, I... Well did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So, you know, they make it out to be that this is what the church teaches, so it must be correct. And who cares what the Bible has to say on the matter? The church is a greater authority. That's what they're saying, Chris, and that's where we have issue and take issue with what they're saying. As you heard in the opening clip, and if you missed that, just make sure you re-download the show, but what you heard in that opening clip was Bill O'Reilly, O'Reilly reading something from the Catholic Church that says if you have the intent on being a good person and, and the intent on being somebody who's following the Christ-like wife, you don't have to be baptized and you don't have to be saved, basically, to enter into heaven, as long as you have the intent. Well, my question is, Chris, who judges that intent? Is that the Catholic Church who judges that intent? Or do we just look by and stand by and wait for what happens to happen with them? So, like he said, don't judge, just stand by and watch, because if they have the intent, they're fine. That kills witnessing altogether. Yeah, and it, of course it, it goes completely and squarely in the face of what Scripture teaches. But, you know, he's got the biggest listenership in cable television and I bet you anything that the the vast, almost overwhelming majority of the people listening to him would have no problem whatsoever with what he just said there, because that is becoming the uh, you know the prevailing thought. And what you ultimately get through that understanding is what I plainly see is the marginalizing of people like us who have a traditional view of Christianity. It is a distorted view, yet in this clip that you're about to hear, this uh, Pastor McKinney saying that we're the ones with the distorted view. Check this out, and we'll play this again when we have Nathan Jones on, but I wanted everybody to hear this right away because it's just mind-blowing when I was watching this, interviewing, this interview last night. Uh, I, th- I think that there's been a real historical and theological misinterpretation of Scripture about hell, but your point there, Bill, is a good one that all across the church you have different interpretations of what hell really is and who's headed there. The end result, though, is if you're talking about eternal damnation for people, that is a very psychological uh, debilitating thing. I see it all the time in my counseling practice. I see good committed Christians, for instance, gay people, good committed gay Christians who've been told they're abominations, they're going to hell forever. By whom, It does enormous damage. They're not told that by... My church, my church tells people, you don't make those judgments. No one makes those judgments but the deity because we're all sinners. That's clear. So I think, I think what's going on here is that you're taking, Pastor, with all due respect, an extreme position in the Christian community and using it as a barometer to say, well, it can't possibly be a hell. Well, I'll submit to you, if there is no hell, Judeo-Christian tradition just breaks down. I'll give you the best example ever, and this is germane to uh, Easter and, and Holy Week last week. When Jesus turned to Judas, who betrayed him, and said, it would be better had you not been born. 
Well, there you have it, Chris. That was a very weak example of why there's a hell, because all we have to do is read what the Bible says. So what he's saying is, what O'Reilly's saying is, is that there's an extreme faction of the church that talks about hell as a damnation for sin. This this other character saying there's no hell, but uh, here's O'Reilly saying that it's just an extreme faction, and uh, but he does admit that there is a hell just for the bad, bad people. Yeah, and, you know, I, I look at a guy like O'Reilly who's just beholden to his church. The other guy just put in the category as a fool uh, who's, who tries to speak about things in the Bible without ever letting the Bible speak for itself. And, uh, you know, the, the, the easiest way to go ahead and look at this is to just say, wait a minute, if Jesus was put to death, was there not a reason for this? Obviously, you know, they don't look at, at Revelation as being a literal thing. I'm sure they'd find some way to dance around who it is that ultimately winds up in hell when it makes it abundantly clear that there's a, a large segment of people that go there. And, uh, you know, the the idea of repentance taught in the Bible, I mean, this is just so, it's so kindergarten-level understanding of Christianity, and here they are talking like a couple of pointy-headed intellectuals that it's no big deal. Well, what was the point of the resurrection then, is what I would have to say to people that believe this. What, why did Jesus have to die on the cross then if there's no p- penalty for our sins? If we can go on and just try to live a good life, then there was no need for the resurrection. And as we know what the Bible says about the resurrection, resurrection is Christianity. What Jesus did by rising on that third day was in and is today the reason for Christianity being what it is. It's the whole thing. So why have that if it's just not something that is needed to separate? us if that bridge between earth and heaven and between heaven and hell is already paved for us then what's the point of anything yeah because then you know there would be no no need for people to see that that was incredibly deliberate you and i talked earlier today before the show and uh you know the things that happened were not just some weird random sequence of events but the fact that he came into Jerusalem as he did was to be presented before the eyes of man as the lamb of god that takes away the sin of the world and that he was able to uh to take upon himself that uh, that position as far as uh as the crucifixion we know why that happened i mean that was the judgment of sin and his blood was what was was uh, shed for the remission of sin. And then the resurrection, if he didn't resurrect, then how in the world can we take John 14 seriously when Jesus said that he goes to prepare a place for us and that he'll receive us to himself as we see we'll come back at the end of that process of those seven years in Revelation 19. Uh, If he doesn't resurrect from the dead, he has no power to resurrect us and those who have died in faith. It's just... I mean, again, it's such ABC elementary uh, Christianity, and and the church, by and large, is clueless on this, what should be the the jumping-off point of what makes us believers. Well, that's right. And, Chris, I tell you what, when you see guys like this, when when I saw this uh, interview last night on the O'Reilly Factor uh, coming up and and being prefaced based on the Time magazine, and you're going to read some of that excerpt here in a minute because that was more about Rob Bell. I thought it was Rob Bell who was going to have on the show because he said two things. He mentioned uh, homosexuals and he mentioned – uh, the, uh, the the fact there is no hell. I thought it was Rob Bell, but it turns out this Pastor Jack McKinney, who you can uh, Google, and that's M-C-K-I-N-N-E-Y, Jack McKinney, Pastor Jack McKinney. You know what his job is? His job is to counsel pastors. 
And so when we look at the destruction of the church heading towards apostasy more and more every day, it's people like this that are behind it. And when you're talking about uh, homosexuals, what the Bible says about this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, do you not know know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will enter the kingdom of heaven. These are examples of repeat offenders when you're talking about the wicked, people that do not struggle with sin, that just live in their sin and think it's okay. That is not a Christian-like behavior. What uh, what this is saying here, and you know, liberals will tell you that homosexual offenders was originally meant to be translated as male prostitutes, but why would it say it twice, I have to ask. But... Um, you know, what you have here is example of people who continually sin and continually live in their sin and say it's okay. And then they got pastors like this behind them saying, you're fine as a gay, just just make sure everything else is in order. Yeah, I mean, it makes it a convenient way for uh, a church. This is why I think it'll be so easy for the Christian church, quote unquote, left behind after the rapture to join whatever the world religion becomes uh, being because there's no way that they'll believe in any kind of truth that is beyond their ability to just go ahead and say, well, I choose to believe this. This is my truth, and I'll wrap it up in Christian terminology and everything will be cool. Uh, But I see a a very smooth transition of the quote-unquote church that's left behind that that, uh, identifies themselves as Christians but don't know Jesus at all. So getting them to take part in this seems like a small matter. And guys like Rob Bell, I'd love to think that he was just the anomaly, but he's becoming more and more the norm. He is becoming the norm, and we're seeing this more and more. And it's just something that is infiltrating the church. But once again, this is all Bible prophecy. This is why we're talking about this. These are a brood of vipers that we're talking about. Let's get into the the article here, Chris, because you do have that handy there. And uh, read some of that, and we'll discuss that, because this is a, a Time Magazine article that – or was this Time – yeah, Time Magazine that came out last week. Go ahead. Yeah, the uh... – the article it has Rob Bell. He's got his hands, you know, put together like he's praying, and he looks kind of Buddhist in the way he's doing this. Uh, and of course, the question is: Is hell dead? Question mark. And then it says, Rogue Pastor Rob Bell's argument about salvation and judgment has evangelicals in a fury and a young generation rethinking Jesus. And just that little phrase or just that little sentence right there just is so chilling. Because we see who's in the crosshairs of these vipers like Rob Bell, and it's the young. Those are the people that flock to him because he's got the cool glasses and he's got the cool stage and he's got the you know jeans with tears in it and he's just so you know hip and relevant. But it says this: a series in a part of a series rather on peace, uh, peacemaking rather. In late 2007, Rob Bell's um, Rob Bell, the uh, pastor at Mars Hill. Bible Church uh, put on an art exhibit about the search for peace in a broken world, and it was just a kind of avant-garde project that uh, that helped power Mars Hill's growth. And it says that they have about 7,000 worshipers on a Sunday. Uh, it's a non-traditional cro- uh, congregation that emphasizes discussion rather than dogmatic teaching. And there's your first hint of a problem. Uh, what they would see as dogmatic teaching is what you and I, Matt, would just see as straightforward Bible exegesis, but they'd rather have discussion. Well, it says an artist in the show had uh, included a quotation from Gandhi, uh, hardly a controversial touch, but 
one would have thought anyway, but the uh, the one would have been wrong. A visitor to the exhibit had stuck a note uh, on the Gandhi quotation saying, reality check, he's in hell, and Bell was struck. Really? Question mark. He recalls thinking, Gandhi's in hell. He is. We have confirmation of this. Someone knows this without a doubt. And somebody decided to take the responsibility of letting the rest of us know. This is that same Love Wins where he starts out. I think you played that clip a couple of weeks back. And it says here, so begins Bell's controversial new bestseller, Love Wins, a book about heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who ever lived and works by evangelical Christian pastors tend to be pious or at least a theological message. The standard Christian view of salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth is summed up in the Gospel of John, which promises uh, eternal life to whoever believes in him. Traditionally, the key is the acknowledgement of Jesus as the Son of God, who in the words of the ancient creed, for us, for our salvation, came down from heaven and was made man. Uh, in the evangelical ethos, either one accepts this and goes to heaven or refuses it and goes to hell. And even that is incorrect. That's not. We don't say simple acknowledgement of Jesus. I mean, any brainiac you know, that, that uh, has ever existed, with the exception of some real kook fringe people, believe that he was a, a historical figure and uh, you know, that, that he's the son of God. There's nothing personal about this at all. And we recognize that for a person to become born again, it has to be a personal, conscious decision to renounce their own sin and seek him for forgiveness through his blood. That's what, that's what Christian quote-unquote ethos is all about. So anyway, Bell, a tall 40-year-old son of a Michigan federal judge, begs to differ. He suggests that the redemptive work of Jesus may be universal, meaning that in his book, as he subtly puts it, every person who ever lived could be in the place of heaven, whatever he turns out to be. Such a simple premise, but with Easter at hand, this slim, lively book ignited a holy war in Christian circles and beyond. And I just have to laugh at that. What holy war? I just write this guy off as a, as a heretic and just move on. Um, it says, when word of love wins reached the Internet, one conservative evangelical pastor, John Piper, tweeted, farewell, Rob Bell, universally attempting to evict Bell from the evangelical community. And I'm thinking to myself, when did he ever belong to it? This guy is just, you know, he's just out there. Well, it goes on. Albert Moeller, Jr., the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, says Bell's book is theologically disastrous. And any of us should be concerned when a matter of theological importance is played with in a subversive way. In North Carolina, a young youth pastor was fired by his church for endorsing the book. And then the article goes on. But it shows you not only is Bell asleep at the switch on this stuff, but even the writer of the, of the article in the religion section of time has very little to understand. And gosh, if John Piper's just getting around to the idea that Bell is you know, kind of needing to be excommunicated from evangelicalism, he's kind of late to the party. Extremely late to the party, and, and there's so much to cover in that, because what you're talking about is, first of all, let's take the Gandhi thing, okay, because I get asked this a lot, um, if I believe Gandhi's in hell. One, one thing I always say when somebody if asks me if I think somebody's in hell, I always say, well, you know, one thing I can't be sure, 
because I don't know what happened in the final 30 days or final 30 hours of that person's life. All I know is how that person practiced life, okay? If this is a practicing Hindu whose goal in life was to create peace between Islam and Hindus and create peace by fasting and sitting there and living the Dharma lifestyle and making sure that he is just a holy man and making sure that he just lives a simpleton life, then all rejection of Jesus Christ was completely evident in this lifestyle because it was simply based on works. That's what Hinduism is. So when we look at that and somebody asks me, I say, well, if he died the way he lived, there is a chance he is in hell because rejecting Jesus Christ is the penalty and uh, and, and hell is the, the result of that. That is according to our belief, our Bible, and it's written clear as day. Now, when you see somebody like Rob Bell wanting to twist the Bible, what he's done has completely thrown out scriptures that he doesn't agree with and brought in you know, new teachings in his book like Love Wins where he says that we need to be more passive in our approach and we need to not witness, but we need to accept. Yeah, and ultimately when I, when I hear the silliness coming out of this whole thing uh, and how they arrive at these beliefs is, you know, you, you, obviously scripture can't be leaned upon for their understanding of this. And as you said, as far as Gandhi is concerned, uh, you can only hope that somebody got to him in uh, in the course of his lifetime and told him that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him, and gave him the tools by which he could do something about it, and that you hope that he did that in his final moments, that he repented and turned to Jesus. But if he didn't, there is no hope for him, nor anyone like him. Now, that might hurt the feelings and the sensibilities, but that's what the gospel teaches, and it's quite clear on the matter. So somebody wanting to teach otherwise, well, they can go ahead and teach whatever they want to, but they have no biblical basis for doing so. And when you're teaching that way, please don't call yourself a Christian because that's what you're not being. You're not being a Christian. Um, God is love. Jesus Christ talked about love. Love thy neighbor as yourself. That is all true as well. We also are commanded to witness to people. We are told to spread the good news, spread the word of God. With rejection of Christ comes a penalty, and this is the penalty that's being erased in our liberal society of churches. This is the, the, the thing that is just not acceptable, like you heard on the show last night. We're called extremists. And, you know, for, for all the numbers that they like to throw around with their popularity, RaptureReady.com hit a massive amount of, of hits just two months ago. It was a record-setting month for RaptureReady.com. RaptureReady Radio is nearing 200,000 unique downloads of the show. There is a remnant of people out there that are seeking out truth from anywhere they can, and when they see the signs and wonders performed by these apostates, what they're also seeing is a world that's crumbling and are looking for answers. Some of these people, unfortunately, are part of that remnant of 7,000 people that are sitting in Rob Bell's church, Chris. And, I, you know, there's something I want to ask you as a pastor. When you're in a church, let's say, let's say that you have an art display and there's a picture of Gandhi and somebody posts a note that says Gandhi's in hell. Do you take that opportunity to talk about the penalty of rejecting Christ, or do you just get fuming offended that somebody would put a post-it on that? Well, I mean, that's a lot of uh, a lot of assumptions. Like I'd have an art exhibit in the church that would have pictures of Gandhi. I think that's kind of a, that's a laughable one. But you know, if it came down to it, yeah, you'd want to use it as an opportunity. But of course, since Bell is not of that you know predisposition. 
how is that ever going to work? And he used, isn't that funny? He uses such such a, a situation to parlay it into a way of, of selling books and, and uh, uh, continuing to spread his disease. It's just amazing. We are going to take a call here because I, on a quick side note, and, and that's funny, Chris, that I, I know you would never have that picture in the church. That was a complete extreme <laughs> hypothetical. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm an extremist. I'll be the first to admit it. Before we go to that call, just to you know settle that whole thing, I'll, I'll agree with the premise of Rob Bell, love wins. I absolutely believe it. in the end, love wins because Jesus is love. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But I also know what Romans tells me, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The operative thing here is in Christ Jesus. If that's your position, then you are made new and whole in him, and therefore love wins. But not everybody loves him, and they reject him. So they don't look forward to love if they reject. That's right. When you don't have separation from Christ, when you're walking with Christ in your life, love does win. That is true because he went to prepare a place for us, and in heaven is that place, and and there is nothing but love in heaven. And so it's just a wonderful thing when you accept Jesus Christ because, yes, love does win in that situation. But if you reject Christ, it's not love it whatsoever. The reason I want to right. take this call is because I've issued a challenge um, in various places. Uh, l- last Sunday night on on Afterglow with Tim Roden, a Muslim called into the show and uh, really went attacking Tim on the fact that the Trinity can't possibly be real. And yet here's somebody who believes in the revelation of Muhammad. But, um, you know, I think Tim did a wonderful job with this guy, but I really want him to call into our show tonight. So 972, you're on Rapture Ready Radio with Matt and Chris. Go ahead, please. Okay, let me see here. Okay, are you on there, 972? Yes. Hello? Yes, yes. How can we help you? Hi, I have uh, no desire to attack the Trinity. I'm actually here to talk about uh, hell. Nathan Jones here. Well, this is Nathan Jones from Lamb Line. Nathan, we're just on the lookout for a Muslim, so I, I just didn't recognize your number. Ah, uh, no, no. No <laughs> Taliban uh, markings, no uh, headdress, uh, no desire to blow myself up. No, none of that. <laughs> well, good for you. God bless you. <laughs> is this a good number to call, gentlemen, or do you want me to use a different number? Nope, this is it. You've called right into the show. You're on the air live with Matt and Chris. I want to set it up for you, everybody. This is Nathan Jones. He's the web minister for Lamb Lion Ministries. Um, also works closely with Dr. David Reagan, the uh, head of that ministry. And so, Nathan, it's very glad to have you on. We're just talking a little post-resurrection talk here. So, All you right, know, I know. I know that uh, you've been doing a series in in di- different places on heaven and, or hell, and so that's why I really reached out to you, and I'm really glad you could join us tonight. Well, it's a blessing to be here. What we're just talking about, first we were talking a little bit about uh, what happened on the O'Reilly Factor last night, and we got some new people in the chat and some new people listening live as well. So what I'll do is I'll set this up. We'll play this clip again real quick, and then I will uh, let you comment on it, and then uh, – you know, that'll kick off our discussion if that's all right. That'd be great. Okay, let me find it here. Here we go. Uh, I, th- I think that there's been a real historical and theological misinterpretation of Scripture about hell. But your point there, Bill, is a good one, that all across the church you have different interpretations of what hell really is and who's headed there. The end result, though, is if you're talking about eternal damnation for people, 
that is a very psychological uh, debilitating thing. I see it all the time in my counseling practice. I see good committed Christians, for instance, gay people, good committed gay Christians who've been told they're abominations, they're going to hell forever. By whom? It does though? enormous yeah. damage. They're not told that by my church. My church tells people you don't make those judgments. No one makes those judgments but the deity because we're all sinners. That's clear. So I think, I think what's going on here is that you're taking, Pastor, with all due respect, an extreme position in the Christian community and using it as a barometer to say, well, it can't possibly be a hell. Well, I'll submit to you, if there is no hell, Judeo-Christian tradition just breaks down. I'll give you the best example ever, and this is germane to uh, Easter and, and Holy Week last week. When Jesus turned to Judas, who betrayed him, and said, it would be better had you not been born. So there you have a bunch of errors, and now O'Reilly did say a couple things that were accurate as far as we are all sinners. That is that is 100% true, but that was uh, his guest from last night, Pastor Jack McKinney, whose job, Nathan, is to counsel Christians, mm. or Christian pastors. That's scary. That's absolutely scary, and it shows how lost the church has become. When we threw the Bible out, when we start saying it was filled with errors and contradictions and, and stopped studying it and preaching it from the pulpit and the became so seeker-sensitive that we replaced the congregation with unbelievers and then the pulpits with unbelievers. And, of course, the theological confusion is just everywhere now, and to the point where we have, uh, it reminds me of when Jesus said that the blind were leading the blind. We have blind pastors, blind teachers, uh, who are looking for answers themselves, who are leading people down the same incorrect, doctrinally unsound paths that they are. And, uh, you know, God bless... Uh, uh, Riley and Glenn Beck and all, and unfortunately those, both those gentlemen are in what I would say cults. Uh, uh, Catholicism and Mormonism has is, is long strayed from Christianity, and they're blind leading the blind too, but at least they recognize, at least they understand that hell is a real place that the Bible talks about again and again. I mean, there are so many details, and hopefully we'll cover some of the aspects of hell, but hell is a real, genuine teaching. And if Jesus didn't die for our sins if there, because there's no hell, then what did he die for? If we're all going to be, as universalism says, ultimately reconciled to God, then what are we being reconciled to God for? To rescue us from what? It's to rescue us from the punishment of sin and our rebellion against God, and, and that is hell. You know, I, I listened to that, and Matt set that up a couple of times. And You know, I, I know what Paul says to Timothy about here's what it's going to be like. They're going to be turned to doctrines of demons and basically following fairy tales. And so I hear a guy like that is pastoring or counseling pastors, and I think if that's the guy that they're having to go to, how messed up must the guy be that's going there? And yet these are the people leading our churches. Well, it's a real sign of, uh, you know, the Bible says that the, the final phase of the church on this earth is the church of Laodicea, the apathetic, lukewarm church that feels that it's wealthy beyond ability, but it's really doctrinally so naked and blind and, pure, and uh, impure, and, and that is what we're seeing, at least in the Western church. I'll, I'll give it to Africa and China and a lot of places where the church is just growing incredibly, but the Western church is just dragged into this, Laodicean thinking, and, and Rob Bell and, and some of these other pastors that are Brian McLaren who are leading these charges are leading them based on what they want God to be. They're rewriting who the person of God is and not following the God of the Bible. And that's why people rebel against God. They, they don't like God. They don't want to see a God 
in God's image, but in their own image. And, and I saw Rob Bell, I unfortunately don't remember uh, who uh, was interviewing him, but the interview was very straight to the point, and basically saying you are creating a God in your own image based on what you want him to look at. And Rob Bell kind of hem-hawed and looked uncomfortable, but the guy nailed it. Rob Bell is creating a God in the image he wants him to be and not the image that the Bible teaches us, who the real God is. And that was the MSNBC uh, interview, right? Where the, yeah, the guy that's interviewing, right. it was hilarious. The guy was a better theologian than Bell could have ever hoped to be on his best day. I thought yes. that was hilarious. I'm sorry for jumping all over you, no, uh, Matt, but oh my gosh, that was just oh, it was brilliant. I loved it. I thought, oh, this guy's going on secular television and getting pounded by the guy talking to him, saying you're a universalist. On MSNBC, no less. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, really. <laughs> That's the That's company funny. that gave us Keith Olbermann. Yeah, and Chris <laughs> Matthews and, and other lunatics like that. But <laughs> Well, that's scary. That's scary when the people who are so against God know the Bible better. And you got it. Satan knows the Bible. He knows it in and out. He knows that the final message of the Bible is, is that Jesus wins, he loses, and everybody that follows him is going to be sentenced to hell. And so he knows there's a hell. And what better way to try to at least get God by trying to drag as many people with you by lying to them and saying that we're all going to heaven and no one's going to hell. What a way to get people just comfortable in their faith, just to say, okay, I guess I can just live the way I want to because as long as I try now and then, I'll be fine. I want to give you a quick update, too. Speaking of uh, things that make people fall away from the faith, 25 days, 3 hours, 27 minutes, and 3 seconds until May 22nd. And uh, May 21st is fast approaching, and this is going to be another way that people fall away because they're going to see their leader and Harold Camping and oh see, see that he's wrong, and, and then they're going to fall away too. Yeah, you know, our ministry, uh, Dr. Reagan recently wrote a long article about Harold Camping, and we feature it in a newsletter. And next week, if you watch our TV show, Christ and Prophecy, we're going to uh, have James Walker of Watchman Fellowship on, and he's going to teach about Harold Camping as well. And I tell you, camping is, uh, you know, oh, my word. You know what's crazy is that twice already he's predicted the end of the world, Jesus is coming, and twice his prophecies have failed. And yet continuously people are still believing in what he's teaching. I was uh, at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention last month, and I'm going into the King James uh, 400th anniversary display, and who's standing out there but a guy Slipping people brochures, and all they had to look at the top of that brochure that said May 21st, 2011. I knew instantly this guy's a Harold Camping follower. And it's just such a shame that people are so desperate for hope and so desperate for Jesus to return that they'll follow any false teacher and then get disappointed, and a lot of them lose their faith over it. I'm so glad that you said that. Um, you know, I guess that with camping this time around, they should have said, We know the day Jesus is coming back, and this time we're serious. But I look at what Proverbs says. Proverbs thirteen twelve says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And, yeah. and I understand exactly what Solomon meant when he wrote it, because people can become so hopeful for something, and then it comes and goes, and all of their hopes and their aspirations, their dreams, call it whatever you want, don't come to fruition, and then they somehow doubt the veracity of the belief. And I just find guys like camping to be so detestable in the fact that they're trying to do something that the Bible says cannot be done. And the collateral damage from their sophistry ends up giving you this pile of bodies that are, that are you know, behind them because they keep playing a game that need not be played. 
wait till the media gets hold of it on May 22nd. I mean, it's bad enough all Easter long the History Channel is is producing programming that talks about how Jesus wasn't really here and he wasn't really God and all that. On May 22nd, we are going to get inundated by the media laughing at the stupid Christians. All the Bible prophecy ministries like yours and mine will be laughed off, and it hurts the body of Christ. It hurts the witness, and Satan loves us. I mean, uh, you know, I used to wonder when I read the Bible, you know, you had the the demon-filled people were possessed people were following Jesus or following the apostles around, and they were proclaiming him. They were giving witness to him, but Jesus and the, and the apostles, you know, would cast the spirits out and tell them to go away because it was false testimony. And these guys, like Harold Camping and Rob Bellnell, they're false prophets, false teachers. And in Matthew 24, Jesus said a sign of the end times would be a proliferation of false prophets. And these guys are just exactly that, a sign of the end times. Well, when we see this, we when, when we first uh, heard about the May 21st, what we did here is be proactive about it, and we created a page on the website with a countdown clock and everything to say, hey, this is not us. We are separated from this, but like you said, we will probably be lumped in, and we're going to call them next week for the show. We're going to call uh, Family Radio and see if they're packing up yet. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sitting on their suitcases, right? That's right, sitting on their want, suitcases. <laughs> they're, they're, I want them to will them. everything to me. There you go. Will everything to me, and we'll see how serious they are. Well, Family Radio is an impressively large, uh, well-organized, and well-funded. Harold Camping has lots of resources, so uh, if it was only put to good use. Well, it was, yeah. and, and and the millions of dollars that flows into this organization, just like with Rob Bell and things like that, they have no problem raising money and selling books and things like that, and that's just a strange faction of the community that, uh, you know, that's who I would call the extreme faction, the people that follow people like this. What's a shame about Rob Bell, too, is I was into the NUMA series when it came out. I remember going up to a church just down the street from Mars Hill for a creative conference, and, uh, you know, they were also proud of Rob Bell. And Rob Bell made a lot more sense than Brian, uh, well, never Brian McLaren, excuse me, but uh, some of the others in, in the emergent church movement made sense. And then all of a sudden, it was like they just jumped off the ship. And they all, all of a sudden you realize that all of them were seeking God, but they were totally lost. And it's just so sad. It's so sad because Rob Bell, his charisma, his personality, his uh, potential that he's already displayed totally wasted as you could see his own personal search for god and then all the people following him it, it reminds me of the movie forrest gump you guys remember forrest gump he's he's running through the desert and all these people are following him because they think he knows he's got some greater truth and then he just stops and says i'm tired and he turns around and goes home mm. everyone's standing around what's going on yeah what do we do now says, yeah what do we do now and i don't may 22nd or or you know now people are scratching their heads about rob bell i mean they're like what do we do now where do we go and they don't think Go to the Bible. The Bible, this is God's Word. This is where we know the direction in life is. But ah, people just don't like to read. See, you know, here's the funny thing about it. When you say Rob Bell, I had somebody pass me a NUMA video. It's got to be four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, I thought, you know, it's a lot of fluff. It, it was like eating a bowl of tofu where you just realized there was stuff there, but you have no idea. There was no consistency. There was no depth. And, and then... Uh, you you know that this is just a downward progression because I ended up reading Velvet Elvis and I said, you know, a lot of that Numa stuff, now it makes sense because now I have a context for why he said what he said. And following the natural progression model, here you have Love Wins 
and you just say, okay, it's come full circle. Now we really understand all those things that seem subliminal and could have dual meanings. Now we understand it in its full context. And then I look at a guy like Tony Jones. I don't know if you saw that, but recently he had talked about how nowadays his worldview is different than if he had been alive with Jesus at the time because where Jesus saw demon possession, Tony Jones, because he's much smarter than the creator of the universe, he's schizophrenia. <laughs> Did you catch that? Did you see that he did that? No, did, did sorry. That? But, oh, very interesting. Oh, yeah, and he, and he said, you know, if only Jesus had known that they were schizophrenic. And I thought, you know, what, a, what an amazing thing that even the demons knew who he was, yet Tony Jones hasn't figured it out. And even the pigs that got the, the demons cast into him freaked out enough to run off a cliff. But I didn't know that schizophrenia was transferable to bovine. I just was blown away by that. <laughs> Well, it's not too different than musicians. Uh, I admit I've been a, a fan of uh, Genesis for many years. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, following Phil Collins over the last two decades or so of his music, it, he's someone who was seeking. And eventually he got to the point, you could hear it in his music and his lyrics, where he decided on universalism. He he, he had no Bible to, to go to or he decided not to. And his songs became more we-are-the-world type you know, universalist thought, and and we've seen Rob Bell over the last few years, someone who I think was desperately searching, who's now reached the point of universalism, and it has to have MSNBC commentators tell him he's universalism, and he acts like it's a surprise. It shows how totally theologically lost he was, or is, I should say. And you want to sit him down, and you want to open the Bible, and you want to say, Look, Rob, read Luke 12, you know, read about what it says about here, you know. How about, uh, uh, excuse me, Luke 16, or, or how about Matthew 25:41, or Revelation 20:15, or Matthew 8:12, and I can go on and on with the verses, and they all explain what hell is, and especially John 3:36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And so if you haven't accepted the Son, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, your Savior, God's wrath remains on you, and the only sentence for God's wrath is hell. So the Bible clearly and 100% supports that there is a hell. And all Rob Bell has to do is actually open the Bible, read it, and accept it, and he doesn't accept it. And that leads people down the wrong path. And I want to get into that more here because there you, you named several verses there. And, and then you go to Second Thessalonians 1, nine. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Now, Catholics believe in some sort of waiting room. And there's other people, and we're going to get into this too, that believe that Jesus went to hell between his death and resurrection. To, and, and that's why you see in the Passion of the Christ, Satan in hell and nobody else is there. And he's throwing a fit. Or she is throwing a fit. And then, uh, you know, you, you see all this. People have a problem with eternity. That's the big attack on Christianity right now that we saw last night and that we see um, around the, the, the new church movement here is the fact that how could something be eternally destructive? They paint the picture of God being a monster. That's what the guy said last night. That's what they've said. That why What kind of monster would condemn somebody eternally? But the Bible backs it up so many ways that God doesn't condemn these people they rejected they made the choice exactly i mean if you were out in the middle of the ocean and you were drowning and a boat came up to you and they threw you a life preserver it is your choice to grab that life preserver or not and crazy enough think about somebody who would push the life preserver away and yell back do you have something square or do you have something pink 
or no, I think I can swim my way to the boat. And then they end up drowning. It's we got this idea that we don't like the way. I mean, it's it's fantastic that God even provided a way, much less no way whatsoever. But he gave us the way and he suffered for it. He died on the cross for it. He gave up his only son so we could have it. I mean, what a wonderful way that is. But people don't want to come. They don't want to give up their sins. So they push that away. They look around and say, okay, I'm going to try to figure out how to do it myself. And it just doesn't work. When we get to the end of time, when we get to what's called the Great White Throne Judgment, which is a great judgment for all the people throughout history who have rejected God, they will be judged on their works and what they did. Unfortunately, the only work that matters is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and whether they accepted that or not. And if they didn't accept Jesus Christ's salvation, all their wonderful deeds, like I think I heard you guys say earlier, uh, Gandhi, great example, or Mother Teresa, great example. If they had a life of wonderful works but have not accepted Jesus as Savior, the one work that matters, as John 3.36 says, God's wrath remains on them. And so it's their choice. It's their decision. It isn't God who's doing this. It's what we're doing to ourselves. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you said that. It, the idea in John 3, 3 where he tells Nicodemus that, you know, he doesn't say it would be a good idea if he got born again. He says, you must be. And I, I again, I, I reject the premise out of hand saying or implying somehow that God owes us a thing. And so this <laughs> idea what a monstrous God it is that he would send people to hell. Hey, wait a minute. He doesn't owe us anything that he got. And you put it very well by saying not only did he make a way, ultimately showing love, but then when you consider the cost of that and you know how in the world could there be any other uh, destination for somebody who will look at the person of Jesus, see how he suffered, and the absolute statements that he made, and then say, that's okay, thanks, I'm going to go it alone. Well, what should happen to them? They didn't want anything to do with them here. Are we going to drag them kicking and screaming into heaven? Force them into heaven. Yeah, force them into heaven. How ridiculous. (laughs) How silly. Well, another thought, too, is that, all right, we're all wronged at some point. You know, think about the child molester, you know, the the monsters who, who are mass murderers, the killers, the Hitlers, the Maos, you know, people who milled murders, the, the uh, tiller, the, the one who did all the abortions. I mean, these people are monsters. Are they saying that God is so loving that he'll throw out his justice and not punish them? I mean, would we, as if we were judges, would we not punish these people for their sins? Why do we hold God up to a different perspective? And I think the reason is because they have rejected God's salvation, and when they come to judgment, they want to know that they can say, hey, you're a God of love, you're going to let me in, on my own terms, my own way. Atheists uh, are are funny in this way, too. When they take like what they consider the quote-unquote worst parts of the Bible and and use those as their interpretation of why would God be so mean? And then you have Christians over here that are saying, yeah, I agree with you. Why would God be so mean? So we got to get rid of hell. Um, They don't, they are trying to make God more like a man, think like a man. When there's some things that we can't understand about God, they refuse to accept that a just God is what he is and a loving God is what he is as well. However, if you reject him, what other alternative is there? Excellent point. I mean, you, would we want to live in eternity with a God who lets the mass murderers, the killers, the rapists, and all in, 
and has no justice. I mean, what kind of God would we have any respect for somebody like that? But what we can respect is that he, how can he be a monster if he was willing to limit his abilities, his power, and turn into a helpless baby and to be raised among humans? That would be like comparing us to becoming an ant and having to live like an ant and giving up all the wonders of being a human and then having to spend life surrounded by people that are so unclean to your perfection that you know it, it, he needed to get away a lot just to have peace and time with God. And then to, to be tortured to death and die on a cross and then have to go through all that so that we can have salvation, that he could be the perfect sacrifice. I mean, that is a wonderful act of love. And some people respond to it. And those who got, those are what God calls his sheep. And those who God calls his goats, those are the ones that reject it. They don't, they don't like that. It, it offends them of who God is. And, you know, we're talking about atheists. Oh, I had this great time. If it's possible, I had a great time with an atheist. Uh, this guy right in, and he went on and on, you know, what they usually do with all their arguments, why there's not a God and all this and all. Well, after a while, he let down his guard, and he finally admitted something. He says, I know there's a God. And I know there's only two ways, but I want there to be three ways. I know I can go be God forever or I go to hell forever, but I just want God to leave me alone. Why can't he just leave me alone and give me a third option? And then all his guards went back up again, and he was back lost in all his facts and figures. And that was the most refreshing time I ever spent with an atheist, because he proved that they do know in their hearts that there is a God, but they want they don't want to be with God. They reject him, and they also know that hell's coming, but they reject that too. But in the back of their minds... They know that's their ultimate destination, and that is a sad position to be in, so sad. You know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the thing about him being amongst his creation and everything else, and uh, what a frustrating thing that must be. Um, you know, you, <laughs> these are guys that you picked, and, and uh, I, I just have to laugh. I, I We're going through the book of Mark uh, at church, and I, I'm so blown away at his interaction with them, and I'm of the opinion that he, as much as they drove him nuts, they're kind of <laughs> like family members, uh, as mm-hmm. much as they drove him crazy, he just realized their their failings and all the rest. But I think he genuinely loved being in the midst of that which he created. And uh, I, I, as evidence, I, I point to uh, Mark chapter 10, where verse 32 tells us, now when they were going up the road, going towards Jerusalem, Jesus was going before them and they were amazed as though this hadn't happened before. He'd done this numerous times before. But there was obviously something very different about him and his singularity of purpose, and he was so driven. But this is so easy to miss. It says that they were amazed, and as they followed him, they were afraid because they just knew about his demeanor and the way he carried himself. Something was up, and I love it where it says, then he took the 12 of them aside again, and he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. He didn't want them in that place of being unsure and filled with anxiety and all the rest. And here's what he tells them. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. They will condemn him to death, deliver him to the Gentiles. They will mock him, scourge him, spit on him, kill him, and then on the third day he will rise again. And I'm, I'm so awestruck by the fact that he said, hey, I know that you guys are troubled. Let me tell you what's coming next. And the next thing that we get in the, in the Gospels is that here James and John said, hey, Lord, when you come into your glory, what do you think? Maybe we could sit on either side of you. Are you okay with that? And I just, I'm so amazed at how he doesn't rebuke them uh, other than to say you have no idea what it is that you're asking about and what you want. And he gives them the greatest thing by saying, you guys who want something and want to be something, 
you've got to become the servants of all. And then he gives them the greatest example. He says, I myself did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life away as a ransom for many. You nailed it right on the head. I mean, if you take the 30,000-foot view and look at why is God doing all this, God wants to populate eternity. And eternity is a long, long time. Eternity with people who want to be with him, who want to spend time with him, who loves him as much as he loves us and, and can grow and share and develop over the course of millions and billions and trillions of eons. I mean, that's what God wants. And and this earth now is nothing more than, uh, if think of the farmer. Uh, he has harvest. He has crops. And we who have accepted Jesus as Savior are the harvest. We are harvested from the land to spend with God forever. And, and that's what God wants. And people can choose to be part of that, and they can choose not to be part of that. And sadly, the Bible says more will choose not to than will choose. But, I mean, that's the reason. That's the purpose. So it's just amazing that God would go through all that so that he could be surrounded by people who want to be with him and not are forced to be with him. That's right, and that's that's what it comes down to is the free will that that we have as Christians. Now, in in religions like Islam, there is basically no free will. Uh, apostates are treated severely. Now, yeah, as um, Allah wills. That's exactly right, and we look at we look at what's going on in Christianity, and what our job is is to spread the word and spread the truth of Jesus Christ, even in the face of Christians saying something different, and that's why we're here. Now, there, there's another topic I wanted to get to before we run out of time. Here is uh, the the common misconception that Jesus went to hell between his death and resurrection. There, there's a great deal of confusion about this subject, and the Catholic faith has really based this question in in a lot of their theology when they say that there is a waiting room called purgatory. But uh, this is something that is very interesting to see how popular of a concept it is. But I think people are really confused about the difference between Sheol and hell. Exactly. It it is a huge thing, and it can get mixed up. And a lot of the cults, I know the Jehovah's Witnesses like to twist this one a lot. But the Bible teaches that there is a holding place for the condemned, for the damned, and it's called Hades or Sheol. It has two compartments, a compartment called Torments, where the unbelievers go, and the apartment called Paradise, where the Old Testament believers go. And you can find this, 1 Peter 3, 18 through 19, in uh, chapter 4, verse 6. And uh, we know that in, uh, oh, excuse me, uh, Luke 16, 2, with the parable, uh, or the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And we know that there is this holding place for the condemned. Now, when Jesus died, after the cross, things radically changed. Jesus descended into Hades, not hell. There's, believe it or not, there's nobody in hell right now. Jesus descended into this holding place called Hades, so that he declared to the spirits his triumph over Satan because shedding his blood. And then he took paradise up with him, the Old Testament saints, because their sins were only covered temporarily. It needed Jesus' blood to cover their sins. And they were able to go up to heaven. So whenever we die now, we go right up to heaven and we're before the Lord. We're ushered right into Jesus' presence. But the condemned continue to go to a place called Hades, the torments, and there they wait to be resurrected at the end of the coming millennial kingdom, that 1,000-year reign of Christ, at what's called the Great White Throne Judgment. And you can read that in the end of Revelation. This Great White Throne Judgment is where all those who are unbelievers throughout history are brought up, and as I mentioned earlier, they're judged on their works, and because they don't have the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, they're found wanting, and they are sentenced to hell. So, yeah, there's a lot of confusion over that, and... uh, we have a, a few good articles out there uh, on our website at lamblion.com on heaven and the di- distinction between that and Hades. Like you said, on our blog at lamblion.us, 
I've got uh, a Heaven series coming up uh, next week, and uh, we explain that too. And there is definitely a difference, and it's a teaching that it's not really looked at. A lot of people avoid studying about hell, especially because it is a frightening topic. It's a scary topic, so there's a lot of confusion on that. But if you get in the Bible, there, it definitely teaches there's a distinction between Hades and hell. And see, we get the um, we get the the Catholic view of it and all the rest, but. You know, even the uh, the charismatic side of things, I'll, I'll read something for you from Kenneth Copeland. It says, in hell, he, Jesus, suffered for you and me. The Bible says that he was made uh, for, uh, that, that hell was made for Satan and his angels. It was not made for men. Satan was holding the Son of God there illegally. The trap was set for Satan, and Jesus was the bait. He allowed the devil to drag him into the depths of hell in where the most wicked of sinners who ever lived, every demon in hell came to annihilate him, tortured him beyond anything or anybody had ever conceived. In a thunder of spiritual force, the voice of God spoke to the uh, death-whipped, broken, punished spirit of Jesus. That word of the, of the living God went down into the pit of destruction and charged the spirit of Jesus with resurrection power. This is what he believes happened from the death into the resurrection. It goes on, and he ends up saying that Jesus was the first man ever born again. That was that was Kenneth Copeland. <laughs> well, I don't know what Bible wow. he's reading then. He's, I mean, you can read Ephesians four, eight, nine, Second Corinthians twelve, one through four. Uh, you know, Jesus when he took paradise to heaven with him, he, he transferred the spirits of the righteous dead from Hades to heaven. He didn't stay down there. He wasn't tortured. It was his victory. It was his, No demon could touch him. Nobody could attack him. And there's no demons in hell right now. We're still waiting at the end of the tribulation when God judges the Antichrist and false prophet and Satan. They're the first to be sentenced to hell. But the spirits of the righteous dead were taken up to heaven before the throne of God. And you can read that in Revelation 6, 9, and 7, 9. So we know that, that Jesus didn't go down there to be tormented and, and tortured. He was already in heaven in his victory, and his ultimate victory is when he resurrected. And that's when Satan realized, whoops, I made a mistake. Maybe Satan thought he was doing something by killing Christ on the cross. But it was Jesus who put his life on the cross. It's Jesus who gave his life up on the cross. And it's Jesus who has the victory over sin and death. And at the end, at that great white throne judgment, that's where that final victory will culminate. As death and Hades, and it says right there, death and Hades are given up and thrown into the lake of fire, which is hell. So that's in uh, Revelation 20 is the best, I think, for showing the difference between Hades and hell. You know, since I quoted it, I want to go ahead and give the, the reference to it. But let me read the last paragraph. It said, suddenly his twisted, death-wracked spirit began to fill out and come back to life. He was literally born or being reborn before the devil's very eyes. He began to flex his spiritual muscles. Jesus was born again, the first born again from the dead. The word calls him, and he uh, whipped the devil in his own backyard. He took everything that he had away from him. He took his keys and his authority away from him. Jesus Christ dragged Satan up and down the halls of hell. Jesus was raised up a born-again man. The day I realized that a born-again man had defeated Satan, hell, and death, I got so excited, and it was taken from a, a piece called The Price of It All, The Believer's Voice of Victory from September 1991. And I think, where in the world do you get that kind of fiction from anything in scripture it makes it sound as though jesus was powerless and just kind of you know god played a fast one and that jesus was just some pawn it's amazing to me i know where he got it from 
Well, <laughs> rhetorical <laughs> question, I suppose. Part, well, <laughs> you you know, most of our crazy views about heaven and hell come from cartoons. I mean, how many times have you seen the Roadrunner being chased by the coyote? The coyote's playing backfires, he gets squished, and he's up in heaven, he's sitting on a cloud, and he's playing a harp. Or that down in hell, there's some uh, Satan, you know, he's red, he's got a pitchfork, he's laughing, and he's poking people in a big cauldron. You know, we get these crazy ideas, not from the Bible, but we get them from pop culture. And so I don't know where this guy gets his theological background, but it sounds like he's been watching too many Looney Tunes. Well, he might get it from Tom and Jerry or from the, the – yeah, so that's where, you know, when we sit here and we talk about this, we wonder where some of these people get this lunacy behavior, yet the people who follow the Bible are called the extremists on national media. It's just it's just sick. But one thing that we pointed out tonight, Nathan, is the fact that it all comes back to the cross. Jesus changed everything. Praise the Lord. Well, God bless you. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Nathan Jones, lamblion.com. Check out the website. There's tons of articles and information on there, and uh, you won't be disappointed in the resources that you find. So, Nathan, thank you very much. You're a friend of the show, and we look forward to having you on again another time. Praise the Lord. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. All right. God bless. See you, Nathan. Jerusalem is not a settlement. It's our capital. Of course, the United States can help the parties resolve their problems, but it cannot solve the problems for the parties. Peace cannot be imposed from the outside. Netanyahu went to the White House to talk Mideast peace concerns, but not only did the Israeli leader not get the traditional photo op, granted to any head of state. Now we're hearing he was left to cool his heels in a meeting room for over an hour while President Obama walked out to have dinner with his family, which some are saying is an extraordinary breach of protocol. Iran is set to launch their first nuclear reactor next week with a lot of help from the Russians. The nuclear power plant at Bashir has been under construction for decades, but it's the Russians who are helping them to build it and they are now prepared to load it up with uranium. From prophecymatters.com, this is Jim Fletcher with Israel Watch on Rapture Ready Radio. We go from one extremist to another with uh, our good friend Jim Fletcher on Rapture Ready Radio. And uh, Chris has alerted us that I am the extremist on the show, and he's the middle-of-the-road guy. And then he uh, attacks he attacks me with the moniker fundamentalist. So I will keep, keep coming, Chris. Keep it coming. I love it. You know, the joke is people at church, you know, when uh, I always – when I get the opportunity to say it, they'll say – you know the, the the unbelievers love to throw out at us that oh my gosh you're so narrow minded and oftentimes when they throw stuff out at us they expect us to defend ourselves and I always love to say man you don't know the half of it. <laughs> yeah, see here's people that believe in a tribulation, believe in a rapture, believe in heaven, believe in hell, and yet we're called narrow minded. That's very interesting. <laughs> Well, Jim Fletcher joins us now, uh, Israel Watch on Rapture Ready Radio. And Jim, I hope you're feeling better. We missed you last week, and uh, you were. I, am, I could tell. I am, thanks. Yeah, I could I'm tell good now. I could tell by your email you were sick. That's how sick you were. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm much better uh, this week. So looking forward to tonight. 
Well, good to have you back. And there's so much news to cover here. Um, you know, we talk about the Temple Mount, for example. Netanyahu denies report that he caved in. Um, Al Jarita reported that Netanyahu will present a diplomatic plan next month that includes Israeli acquisitions to a preliminary Palestinian with Eastern Jerusalem as its capital. They said he agreed to this. The, the paper also claimed that Netanyahu agreed to hand over the Temple Mount and other holy places to international sovereignty. Just give it to those Muslims. They'll they'll know what to do. And of course, Netanyahu who denies this because that is just lunacy well it is you know there's the precedent with uh, Barak uh, 10 years ago uh, offered that sort of deal to the Palestinians and at the time of course uh, Yasser Arafat was was uh, in control and uh, and missed an opportunity but I don't uh, I don't think that the Palestinian leadership whoever they are or whatever they might be uh, this time would uh, would pass up such an opportunity. Well, you know, we're finding that there's not much being spoken about in all the things going on in Israel. It's obviously quite quiet because it's always Israel that's getting, you know, uh, provoked here. I'm just waiting for them to finally do something in retaliation to this, and then it'll be all over the news about the horrible things that uh, Israel's done. Maybe you can bring us up to speed on the latest that you see taking place there that you're not hearing about in the news. Well, it will. I mean, uh, uh, you know, everyone in the international community is just waiting. Uh, they they look for a pretext to uh, to condemn Israel, and uh, I think what's going on is is probably the truth is somewhere in the middle. Uh, but I think as believers who are supportive of Israel, one of the things that uh, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I think we have to be cautious that uh, that we don't put our, quote, hope in a political leader. Uh, that's why, even though I think Netanyahu is a great man and he's a great leader, uh, the, the thing always in the background in this situation is the intense pressure put on him. And uh, it would not surprise me at some point to see a... Uh, a very painful and, and tragic compromise on the part of the Israelis. Um, if, if we can believe the reports that uh, that a Palestinian state by September is in the works, um, you know, I think I think we should prepare ourselves that uh, this may not play out in the short term uh, the way we would want it to. Well, where do you see this heading as far as the Palestinian issue? Because the the U.S. has remained mute on this, and and we've already talked about a couple of weeks ago how Netanyahu has sought out worldwide help, but it just doesn't it just doesn't seem to be coming. Even though uh, most Egyptians favoring, uh, or, or, I'm sorry, most and and in addition to that, most Egyptians are favoring annulling peace with Israel. Um, Israel's losing friendship here. So what does that mean for when you say the short term? Because that is imminent. It seems like. Well, I, I think that uh, I, I would not be surprised to see the UN recognize uh, some type of Palestinian state. Now, the issue here is, though, literally the facts on the ground, because it's one thing to to make the mental jump to recognizing the state of Palestine, but it's quite another thing to actually make it work. Uh, in the real world, and and the reality is, the the land over there, the land mass is so small 
and everyone is so interconnected that making a viable Palestinian state is is virtually impossible. And and so, uh, you know, I don't think we need to worry that there's going to be, you know, a, a a sizable Arab state carved out of Israel, but what may happen is that a state will be declared and then we will enter into a period of, uh, you know, some unrest. I mean, uh, as as the two sides jockey for position, you know, this is obviously a unique situation where uh, two people claim the same uh, land area, uh, Israel, of course, having uh, won their territory in defensive wars, uh, it's, you know, it's really unprecedented for the victor to, uh, <laughs> yeah, to, to, to give the uh, the spoils back to the the loser. But that's uh, that's the case of, you know, where that's what's expected of Israel. But, um, I, you know, we we talk about these things and we wonder what's going to happen in the short term and the long term. But, and, and it seems like a cop out for me to say this, but but things are so unpredictable in that region that I don't know that we can say dogmatically that uh, A or B is going to happen. I mean, um, T might happen. You know, you just never know. Um, But I would imagine that uh, the pressure on Israel will intensify. Now, the one thing that that is is different, though, this time, is the unrest in the other Arab states, and I know we want to talk about this in a minute, and I want to talk about something you touched on, but at some point, uh, they're they're all going to point the finger of blame at Israel to deflect from their own uh, internal problems going on. You know, I'm in in my look at this thing, Jim. I I pretty much see this as like the last time, that, or like every time that they've tried it. What will be written into any kind of potential agreement that would be there is that the there needs to be a recognition of Israel. There needs to be a cessation of the violence. There needs to be all of that kind of stuff. It's kind of the poison pill that's always there. Because I know full well that, like with Hamas, and even with the PA as far as I'm concerned, if they could ever get it to where the world would see that the Palestinians have gotten all that they have requested, then there's no reason for them to exist anymore. I kind of think of it like like, uh, I don't know, Jesse Jackson and, and Al Sharpton, if you ever got them to believe that there was no more racism, then they'd have to get a real job. So they're never going to let such a thing take place. Well, you raise a really interesting point, and, and it is this. The the Arab leadership in, in the region is self-oriented. They're, they're about perpetuating their their power plays and, and, and you know, uh, even even a dictator like Hosni Mubarak, um, you know, you get used to the palaces and you get used to the jets and the helicopters and and the money and things like this. And and they're, the leadership is not motivated to actually come up with solutions for their people. It's all about perpetuating their own power base. And so, you're correct. Uh, uh, there's no evidence that the the Palestinian Authority leadership is really any different than uh, than, than the old PLO or, or Hamas or whoever. They, you're quite correct. That, that's a very good point to bring up, and and that is precisely why Yasser Arafat walked away from the negotiating table ten years ago, 
because his entire life's work was about eradicating Israel, about keeping the, quote, revolution going. Um, And as you say, had he signed his name to the dotted line, he would have woke up the next morning and uh, there there would have been no reason to get out of bed. (laughs) Welcome to Irrelevance. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Irrelevance. (laughs) <laughs> and, and speaking of extreme views, let's look at the prophetic angle here. When uh, we talk about the uh, Gog Magog countries here, just in just today's news, what they have said. First, the, Turk of, the Turkish foreign minister warns Israel not to repeat flotilla mistake, even though this massive flotilla is heading in there. And then we also see um, right here that we have posted, um, Russia will not stop cooperating with Iran, yet Iranian ships loaded with poison gas seized at Port of Sinai. I mean, this is three of the countries that are induced in the, uh, introduced in the Bible as part of the Gog Magog invasion against Israel here, and here they come, guns a-blazing towards Israel, and Russia said they will not stop cooperating. Well, exactly, and, and as we've talked about in weeks past, uh, never before has there been a, a situation where all of these countries are now basically in cahoots uh, together. Um, if they're not actively uh, coming against Israel, then they're facilitating uh, terror activities and things like that, as, as in the case of Russia. And so um, it's fascinating to me to be having conversations now with uh, either secular friends or uh, you know, friends who who aren't believers or they're not uh, they're not from a Judeo-Christian background who had mocked um, Bible prophecy before, and now they're not. They're not mocking it. They're asking questions, and they look, uh, you know, they look concerned. And and when you present it as you just did by saying, well, look, these these uh, countries are predicted in Scripture to uh, to be part of this coalition against Israel. Um, and, and here they are. Uh, you know, it's it's very sobering news indeed. I found an interesting uh, thing that just took place with all of the unrest that we still, oddly enough, we're not hearing a lot about what's taking place in Egypt. But uh, the Brotherhood's getting more empowered by the day, and there's a real move towards uh, towards their law being based entirely on Islamic law by the Quran or Sharia. And nobody's really talking about that, but they're looking at the turnover in Yemen and the hundreds of people being slaughtered in the streets in Syria. And all the, all the while in the background, people have taken their eye off of Ahmadinejad, who really has said more about the eradication of Israel than anyone. And, it, and Iran just had its nuclear facilities hit once again with a brand new virus. Did you catch that? Yes, the, what they call uh, the star virus. And, and it... it, it uh, it seemed uh, actually comical because the Iranians, uh, in in their in the quoted material, they just seemed just so annoyed by this. <laughs> you know, uh, that once again here they're they're foiled by you know curses Israel and uh, the Keystone cops. The, the Keystone cops, it is, and uh, and so, but you know, you you, um, you mentioned Egypt and Iran, and this is actually my my favorite subject of the week because. Uh, I, I was thinking about about how the lack of biblical discernment can really mess things up. And what I mean by that is, in the context of now, um, you know, 
we, we had this situation where for 30 years we have armed Egypt to the teeth with with all these billions of dollars in aid. Um, you know, liberals complain about our aid to Israel, but never a peep about the uh, <clears throat> the aid to Egypt, which was all going from military hardware. And, and so you have this lethal uh, uh, Western-backed, Western-produced army in, in Egypt. And now we hear uh, this week from uh, Pew Research that the polling indicates that 80% of the Egyptians don't like America. Uh, you know, a, a, the vast majority of them want to uh, tear up the uh, the peace treaty with uh, Israel, and mm-hmm. and so look look at what our meddling has and lack of biblical discernment has caused, uh, and and then the linkage with Iran because Jimmy Carter this week it was announced is going to North Korea for a, a peace mission, which is just you know. The, the theater of the absurd. I mean, it, it, this guy is just never stops, and he's the one who set all this in motion in the late 1970s. First, by losing Iran uh, to the Ayatollahs, and then, uh, you know, forcing a peace deal between Israel and Egypt, and and it's brought us uh, to where we are today. And, and unfortunately, the guy is still meddling in, in international affairs. It's it's. Uh, it's almost incomprehensible, but but the point I wanted to make is is what I said in the beginning. Uh, this is exactly the case in the lack of biblical discernment because Carter never had a biblical view of diplomacy. Uh, he doesn't now, and I'm afraid that uh, you know our our current batch of younger diplomats are, are following suit. Carter is a guy that just won't go away. He just won't retire and let it go with his liberal agenda. He's always uh, compared to me uh, as a the first Obama. That's Jimmy Carter. I mean, just these radical leftist views that really do no harm, no good for America. I mean, Carter's big success was you know releasing all interrogations of people that were dodging the draft and and exonerating them. That was his first executive order, and he's from that moment on done all kinds of crazy things. And he is very outspoken against against Israel and and has that diluted version of um, of Gaza that these liberals have. I mean, here's a guy that just won't stop and and America's like go ahead go ahead and do it well exactly and and listen the the guy uh, has propped up dictatorships uh, for the last 35 years Uh, he's never met a dictator he didn't like and 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 this uh, and this influence of his in the in the region of the Middle East I mean look if the, the the view then was we have to step in and fill this vacuum because if we don't aid the Egyptians, then the Soviets will. Well, probably a, a kid in junior high school at the time uh, could have understood that the sun was already setting on the Soviet Empire by the time Carter uh, came to this conclusion. Had he left well enough alone, uh, we wouldn't have uh, had a need to pacify the Egyptians with uh, billions of dollars in armaments, and the Soviets would have uh, gone by the wayside, and Egypt would not now be a regional uh, military power and a threat on Israel's southern border. So, uh, you know, the, the things we do uh, in one generation greatly affect the next one, 
and I'm afraid we're making similar mistakes now. Well, you know, speaking of mistakes and things that like we're doing in the State Department and staying along the lines of irrelevance, I see that the United Nations is uh, not going to try to stand in the way of Syria becoming one of the, uh, for their yearly uh, bite at the apple in the uh, United Nations Human Rights Council. They're going to have a seat at the table of that little fiasco. Did you catch that? Yeah, it is absolutely (laughs) mind-boggling that at the moment that Assad is butchering his own people, I mean, they're firing in the crowds, they're killing hundreds of demonstrators. You know, these guys are the ones who sit on the Security Council and things like that. It's a complete inversion of the truth, um, and, and it's just incredibly shocking. Well, it is shocking indeed, and, and more more news out of Egypt, too, where a Christian governor was fired. Imad Mikhail, the Christian governor of Quina, has been dismissed from his post on Monday by the Egyptian interior minister, Isaway, according to Al-Arabia's correspondence in Egypt. Thousands of Egyptians have been protesting for many days for demanding the sacking of Mr. Mikhail and two other provincial governments governors who had served in the police force of deposed President Hosni Mubarak. Now, what you have is simply because he does not share the Brotherhood views, he's got to go. Well, precisely. And listen, the, the Christians in Egypt have always had a tough go. But now uh, you, you have this situation where the, the radicals are, are gathering strength and, and I mean, good grief, the other day, Alberide uh, claims that Bush should be uh, put on trial for war crimes. Uh, you know, this is this is so-called moderate mainstream leadership in uh, in Egypt. Um, only only something bad is going to come from from whatever type of government they put together. Uh, but but you see in the example that you just cited, the absolute loathing that. Egyptian leadership has for anything Christian, anything Jewish, and uh, it's it's an absolute tragedy. But I tell you, uh, some of the most persecuted Christians in the world are uh, are in Egypt. Well, it's obvious that we're just. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Matt. I'm sorry. I just have. I'll say something real quick, and then you can go ahead, Chris. Mark made a great point uh, in the chat room about Obama's whatever the teleprompter tell him to say tells him to say he is you know i tell you what that teleprompter needs to go that's what we need to vote out of the office is that teleprompter go ahead chris well i just noticed that the inventor of the teleprompter passed away today um at the the age of 91 yeah so you know i uh, yeah i don't want to let's not mock the dead but uh if there were some things that you'd like to have done i'd rather see him reading off of paper um but anyway with all that being said you know, I'm, I'm curious, Jim, since you have your ear to the ground, I know that uh, when it comes to politics here in this country, um, there's this weird disconnect in the Jewish community that they they tend to vote very much more towards the left side of it. And uh, I'm wondering, do they? are you hearing that they're becoming discontent with the way that Israel is being treated by the administration? Do you see a swing going the other way, or do you hear anything about that? Yes, actually, I do. Um, now, will they come as far as as we would on on some of these views? Probably not. However, uh, probably for the first time, they are uh, 
taking stock and, and saying among themselves, you know, look, we've, we've backed these guys politically for decades, and, and our position is only getting worse. And so, uh, yes, I think there's a, a growing awareness uh, on, on the part of some American Jewish leadership uh, that says, hey, you know what, uh, some of these policies have failed. Uh, I think almost to a man they would admit that Oslo was a colossal failure, um, and and they had a lot uh, a lot emotionally invested in that uh, in that process, and so uh, th- there's a real uh, a sober awakening going on in that community for sure. Let's turn our attention to uh, Libya for just a second here, because this is something that Obama has been given a pass on, even though this is really turning into a, a disaster. Um, the, the Italian PM uh, Berlusconi has approved the use of his country's air force in NATO's Libya mission. Italy was ready to allow his jets to take the targeted military action, he said in a statement. So we're hearing things once again out of uh, the Italians and the French, but yet uh in america and and from america we are hitting buildings but yet we're getting mixed messages here what is going on in libya today well on the part of the west uh, complete chaos is what's going on there there's no real uh there's no real plan there's no real uh, strategy uh you know this, this is what happens uh to leadership that isn't prepared uh that can't see um even a few feet in front of it, uh, politically, uh, as, as I've said before, this is exactly the kind of situation that we had uh, even under Bush when, um, you know, uh, Condoleezza Rice was caught off guard by Hamas winning elections in Gaza, and now we're caught off guard by the brutality of uh, of Gaddafi. Uh, I think that uh, uh, Obama gave every indication of appearing to be a guy who thought that if he stood at a podium and told Qaddafi that he really needed to go, that Qaddafi would would acquiesce and, and leave. And uh, you know, he he showed him what he thought of uh of that. He he's not gonna roll over like a Hosni Mimbari did and the guy's gonna play it out to the bitter end. And then on the other side you've got this uh this shadowy rogue group uh, that we can't even properly identify. We don't know if these are actual uh, people who want uh, legitimate freedom, or or if they um, they're in fact elements of Al Qaeda and the Brotherhood and, and and what have you. And so, uh, you know, it, we now live in a world where France and Italy are uh, are at least attempting to to have a strategy, and in the United States, sort of dithers on the sideline. Um, I think it's a combination of Obama's arrogance and his complete, uh, not just lack of experience, but lack of interest in in advancing any kind of uh, any kind of good outcome in that area. Now, what are you hearing as far as the latest on the whole flotilla thing in Turkey and all the rest of that? Well, that uh, that. You know the the Arabs, the Muslims are are intending to go uh, for another round of this. Uh, they they realize that they're gaining um, political capital and the emotional favor of the international community uh, every time there's bloodshed 
and and Israel uh, moves to defend itself. Now, having said that, uh, I have no doubt that they're going to attempt it again, but I believe Israel is going to continue to uh, to stand with its feet on the ground and, and face these guys off. Um, now, they really don't have an alternative, but it's an effective psychological strategy. And so what I'm hearing is that Israel is going to continue to go out and meet them, uh, board their ships if they deem it necessary, and um, and confront the threat. Um, I don't think the flotillas in and of themselves are going to damage Israel, but you have what you have is a uh, a collection of, of such incidences and and something happening over here and something happening over here, and the cumulative effect is going to be that uh, very soon. Uh, we're going to come to a, a moment when the international community uh, will will just decide that it's had its fill of, of what they'll call Israeli intransigence, and that that's when uh, there will be uh, a real outbreak over there. Well, that's what we're seeing, too. And, and another issue that, that, like we talked about at the beginning, that they're dealing with that might be the bigger issue is simply the uh, fact that the, the Palestine situation. I mean, that seems to be the the real issue, and then the crumbling alliances around them, especially with Egypt. And Exactly. And, and listen, here, here's an interesting element in all this. Um, it, it seems to me that the more... The more opportunities Israel's supporters have to get the truth out there, and, and there are there are legitimate platforms now that weren't available in times past, the more that the truth is put out there and the more people are confronted with it, the more angry uh, people are with Israel. And, and I think that in itself is prophetic. I don't think that the uh, we, we should have the expectation that you know, we're going to educate the world and they're going to come to their senses and see the error of their ways and they're going to suddenly all become pro-Israel. It's uh, Biblically, uh, there's every indication that as time goes on, things will get worse. And so um, Israel, uh, with especially with a spokesman like Netanyahu, presents a very lucid, reasonable uh presentation of their their case and and the world grows angrier and I think that is a trend that we're already well into and it's one that's going to continue well Chris just posted a story that, that, that referenced what you were talking about where France and Italy and call to close EU borders in wake of Arab protest you know like you said you said it best Jim when you said uh, what a world and, and I wish we still had that uh, Wizard of Oz sound clip in there with uh, the, the wicked wish saying what a world but uh, you know, when you when you look at this, it's just turned completely upside down, and that is the prophetic angle of it. When uh, Sarkozy and Berlusconi are just standing there together as strong leaders, and and the United States is backing away from these things. But uh, Chris, you want to expand more on this story too? Well, I just find it interesting because it it has such a, a feeling to it of the whole iron mixed with clay that Daniel saw in that you know it's. Yeah, it's it's iron, but the clay shows the fragility of it. And uh, as all of that stuff is happening in northern Africa, people are trying to get away from the violence there, and they're making their way to Europe. 
and that free ability to go throughout the countries with no borders. Now uh, France and Italy are saying not so fast. We've and they've got real problems with Muslim immigrants there in France. There are entire parts of the country that are no go zones for police, as we saw the rioting over the last couple of years. And uh, you know, here Sarkozy says, "Man, we we got to be able to know who's going where. This is bad news." That's well. That's right, Jim. Are you still with us? I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if you wanted to comment on that. It's uh, it's just it's just something like we've never seen. And and when you talk about the mixing of iron and clay, that's exactly what we're seeing here. And then Daniel referenced this. It's just amazing. But the, the, you know the the Palestine issue is the one unifying factor. Uh, when when you have, for example, um, all this unrest going on in in Syria. Uh, where you know it's not unreasonable to to think that uh, Assad might be in in serious danger. Uh, what's going to happen is uh, these guys are going to keep screaming about Palestine, which they of course care nothing about personally, but it's it's an excuse. And uh, and and so we know prophetically that there's going to be a trigger uh, to this uh, to this Israel hatred, and I think that the Palestinian issue is that uh, trigger. Well, as we close, I want to get your opinion on this um, because what we've played on this show in the past are many clips about Obama talking about Islam. I mean, there's there's just tons of audio and, and speeches to play about Islam, but the White House actually laughs and mocks a question about Obama not giving an Easter statement. You know, he's known regularly to issue statements about important holidays, and uh, for example, he and Michelle delivered one pat the past Christmas the the past Christmas uh, about. Uh, uh, so-called Christianity, and uh, now he didn't issue a proclamation or statement about Easter. He did do the Easter egg roll, um, and last year he released an Easter statement that included uh, references to Jews, Muslim, Hindus, and people of no faith at all, which is very interesting. When you talk about his faith, which is is an issue to to some people, I guess extremists, but you know, don't what we say is if you're not a Christian, you don't have to say it. It's okay. But why does somebody claim to be a Christian yet dis, dis, have a disdain for anything Christian? And that's the one holiday that they either mess up or that they don't even say anything about at all. Well, I mean, Scripture tells us that uh, more than once that in the last days uh, men will creep into the church uh, uh, subtly and, and people won't realize uh, who they are. And they're working to undermine uh, the church and undermine the faith. What you have with Obama is a guy who is absolutely telegraphing his worldview Every time he does something like refuse to uh, to recognize Easter, uh, Jay Sekulow said it very well today on the radio when he referenced that story. Uh, you know, he, he's he's telegraphing what he really believes, and uh, and yet he continues to get a pass. And I think that he grows more bold as time goes on. Um, but uh, again, Scripture tells us there will be deceivers. Um, you know, a, a guy like John Shelby Spong identifies himself as Christian, and yet he he uh, he uh, rejects all the fundamentals of the faith. So um, you have to you have to be discerning. You have to look at what a guy is doing, not what he's saying. 
Yeah, I, I guess he seems to not even be bothered with trying to give a defense for stuff like that. When when his spokesman Carney was asked about it, I thought, man, he makes Robert Gibbs look competent. It, it was really shocking to watch. But you know, since when <laughs> has he been at all adverse to you know putting his thumb in the eye of people with whom he disagrees? And this just seems like the only people that he that he offends on a serial manner is Christians. Well, exactly, and the point you raise is, is a good one. He he obviously feels that he is uh, invulnerable to whatever sort of, of uh, uh, rising up against him there might be. He he appears to be a guy who is uh, is comfortable with where he is. He again. Uh, I can't say it enough. He's telegraphing exactly what his worldview is, and he believes that uh, that his position is impenetrable. And uh, you know, hey, I, I can't I can't disagree uh, with that assessment if that is in fact the way he uh, the way he really feels. Even with the gathering strength of you know what we call the Tea Party and and. You know, there are millions of Bible-believing Christians in this country, but it seems as if the stronger that those movements grow, uh, so also simultaneously evil is growing strong. And and so, um, you know, if if Obama is is doing things that, that we can safely uh, label as anti-Christian, um, that tells you what you need to know about his worldview. Well, that's an excellent point. And, Jim, I know we ran over a little bit of time. I appreciate you staying with us, and, and we're glad you're back and, and glad you're well. So next week we'll have a bunch more news and, and information to discuss. But I just wanted to I pray you had a happy Easter and Resurrection Day and just uh, wanted to thank you again for joining us on Rapture Ready Radio, and I encourage everybody to check out prophecymatters.com. Thanks, guys. See you, Jim. All right. Bye-bye. Good night. We're we're going to take a quick break on Rapture Ready Radio and come back. We're going to have a special be- uh, birthday message for our friend, uh, a host of one of our shows. So stay tuned for that. And, and we got some news to cover in relation to uh, the Burning Koran and, and things like that. So stay with us right here on Rapture Ready Radio.
Quintana with you and uh, Chris this is usually where his mic is muted so let's do a check Chris how are you this evening <laughs> man is that sad that you got to remind me <laughs> what does that say about my head oh gosh <laughs> it's just consistency my friend and, and instead of just uh, looking like a deer in the headlights I just figured I'd go ahead and preemptive strike it <laughs> I'm that predictable. How sad is that? <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Uh, 
the the host of Afterglow, Tim Roden, is on with us, and he'll probably tell you that I'm predictable in a lot of things, too, uh, the way I say certain words like absolutely. So, Tim, welcome to the Tuesday Night Show. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tim. <laughs> well, Tim, How's you had going, your... Guys? Yeah, you had your first Muslim encounter, uh, and we're glad that it happened. It happens to the best of us on this network. So uh, tell us your thoughts, because you were just simply talking about call in and, and tell us your your how church went today. And, and, you know, it was a very Easter show. It was the Easter message on Easter Sunday. So what were your thoughts when the, uh, the, the uh, Islamist came, called into the show? Well, yeah, I wasn't exactly sure where he was coming from at first, but uh, yeah, after a while you begin to get the idea that if he doesn't believe in the Trinity and that he starts asking about Jesus being a prophet, uh, he's either a Muslim or he's a Mormon. Uh, you know, when he's not speaking with an Arabic accent, you presume Mormon. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you answer the question the best you can, and then you go on from there. But then as he explained he was a Mormon, I'm like, okay, where's Osama Duck Duck when you need him? Yeah, so, Chris, you, you, you should have you heard that. And, yeah, Christina's going to call in and sing happy birthday. Happy birthday, my friend, uh, Tim. Happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you. Yay. Yeah, we, excitement <laughs> here for one, one birthday night. I think we had as many as eight. Tornadoes on the TV. Uh, what they, they were uh, switching from, in just in our area. One so for each year. Yeah, one one tor one tornado for each year. That's it. I mean, I, I had a hard time blowing them all out. <laughs> well, good good luck with that, Todd Bentley. <laughs> Well, you know, I you know one one of my big big claims to fame is I outdid Oral Roberts. I remember that guy, oh. he, the Kansas City yeah, Prophet. Or, or, Oral Roberts yeah. was said to have once got run over by a boat on his morning walk. <laughs> by a what? <laughs> by a boat. <laughs> on his morning walk. I outdid him. I ran over <laughs> by my boat on my morning bike ride. Oh my gosh! See now, everybody says that they would never want to move to California because of the earthquakes. You know what? Let the ground shake. But that idea that you could get your whole house sucked up by a big old whirlwind uh, and well, you could be in it just yeah. terrifies me. Well, the thing is, earthquakes are just like tornadoes. The only thing about a tornado is you can pray that it misses you. Earthquake, once you got hit by it, you're hit. Yeah, you know, I've lived here my huh. No. I was just going to say, I live in Kansas, and, and it, it always baffles me when I see somebody buy a house without a basement. I mean, I'm in Kansas, for crying out loud. Yeah, well, in Kansas, you can see that tornado coming for miles. Not in East Texas. We've got too many trees. So you just got to depend on radar. And then we get a lot of wind uh, wrap. Was that like a tornado warning that we just heard, or what was that? No, this was my uh, house phone ring. Oh, I oh. thought it was like a, a police scanner saying there's a robbery in progress. Yeah, yeah, just, just rob. Will you uh, answer that already? <laughs> That's hey, we're not holding call. you back from stuff, are we? What's that? We 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 aren't infringing on your time or anything, are we? I mean, you know, you want to go ahead and get that? You. I called you. No, 
<laughs> daughters to uh, get the kitchen cleaned up. That's all that is. Oh. <laughs> wow, that's old school. Yeah, absolutely. You could, yeah, modern day people text. <laughs> now, Chris, Chris, I'll be honest with you. It's not the earthquakes I'm afraid of in California. It's people like Arnold Schwarzenegger and and all the liberals that you have out there. Yeah, they're pretty frightening. Actually, they they are their own. Actually, they are an earthquake followed by a tsunami followed by a a tornado and a hurricane uh, in a in a fiscal sense. Uh, our state government and all those people. Yeah, it's about the same devastating effect, but. People are still here. Well, yeah, the, California, from what I understand from listening to Jay Vernon McGee, the, uh, God tipped the, the United States up on one end and all the fruits and nuts rolled down to uh, California. <laughs> yeah, that is one of the lines. It's the land of fruits and nuts. <laughs> Sad to say. <laughs> And yet, you, and yet, uh, Chris, Chris, the church was full on Easter, which is nice to hear. And uh, you know, we, we, what we were so, talking about last week, Tim, is uh, the CMEs, the uh, uh, Christmas, right. Easter, and Mother's Day. And and the, at my church, we can spot them because they wear the Easter hats. And and Chris and I were talking about this uh, before the show, and it was just real exciting to hear his message. I encourage everybody to check out Calvary Chapel Chapel Cypress website because they can hear the the audio from this, but. Uh, it's very interesting to see how and and what our our goal is of course is to have those people come back but in my church personally the they led up to a salvation message and then didn't do it no salvation message whatsoever and i was and you yeah, know that's I, what it was that's what it basically was in my church but the thing is the, all those cmes that showed up they were all relatives Somebody handled handed it to me, and they they called them CEO Christians. It means Christmas <laughs> and Easter only. CEO, <laughs> not even Mother's Day. <laughs> oh, no, I said that was added in by obligation. <laughs> they don't show up for Mother's Day. They they don't know that they unless it's their mother that goes to that church. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, you know, since that's, hey, sometimes huh? they don't even come for Christmas. It's just Easter. True. Yeah, yeah um, on Christmas yeah. they 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 do the like Friday night service or something where you can come in and there's no message, but you can come in and and pray. There there's a lot of a lot of that. So I don't know if that classifies as even a a CEO. So maybe it's just an EO. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <E-I-O>. Well. <laughs> You'll, you'll like this, Tim, given the, the show that you do. Um, I don't know if you were listening last week when we got to this, but uh, what we're doing on our Sunday mornings, we're going through the book of Colossians. And uh, on my uh, on, on triumphal entry, I looked at what my test, text was going to be and didn't have to do a triumphal entry message per se. And the same thing with Easter. Um, and here were the two passages. You'll love this. This was the passage, just as we were going through it, this is what triumphal entry was. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. That was triumphal entry. And then right. uh, Easter, <laughs> Easter morning is this. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. 
in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. It was it was so appropriate and so perfect. All that you what, have to explain chapter? is huh? What chapter is that? That's Colossians one, it's nineteen and twenty for, for uh for uh, the triumphal entry day, and then 21 and 22 was Easter. And then I go this week, which is, uh, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded, steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, which Paul uh, became a minister. So, you know, that, uh, that, that whole... That's like a good Pentecost message. Oh, I, I tell you what, it's so wonderful because it's one of those once saved, always saved things that people like to point to as a proof text. And I see it as Paul saying, hey, look, let's not even ask the question to begin with. Forget the hypothetical once saved, always saved. Here's a way to make it a non-issue. So I I love that that view of it. Of You don't want to have to worry about once saved, always saved if you just walk with him day by day. And, uh, you know, never put yourself in a position where you question any of those things. Stay faithful. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, Tim, we have a birthday song for you, so let's play that now. How old are you today? How how, how old are you today, Tim? Well, uh, it's the 18th anniversary of my 29th birthday. You do the math. Well, happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank you. I wonder. If, I don't know if anybody sings on this or not. Yeah, that was weak. We need to get Christina on here to sing. I don't know if she'll I do it. Christina would be here. Come on, Christina, don't let us down. Christina from Amplified on Thursday nights uh, made a made the error of typing in the chat room that she would sing for Tim, and now we're calling her bluff on Rapture Ready Radio. That's it. I'm here for you, Christine. You got to call in. She said no. <laughs> she so said that's over. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. <laughs> it's not happening. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Speaking of tornadoes. <laughs> she said she's going to call in. Oh, no, she said, okay, she'll call in and, and talk happy birthday. It'll be like, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Gixam. Well, well, here's the thing. She said that she sings like she types. It, it is almost like a song listening to her. <laughs> she she says that she she uh, sings like she types, and she's so given to, to uh, faux pas with the keyboard, I think she's going to sing you nappy birthday. <laughs> nappy <laughs> Oh, here comes the liberals. Yeah, here comes. Birthday. All right, Christina from Amplified on the Battlefront. Welcome to the Tuesday Night Show. Do you have something you'd like to say or sing to Tim? Yeah, I'd like to say Nappy Birthday. <laughs> These typos will get you. I tell you what. I, you know, Chris just bled in so wonderfully. I'm thinking. Really, I really do sing like I type, and for those people that can't see me type, um, it's a real hot mess. <laughs> nappy birthday to you. <laughs> nappy birthday or whatever. <laughs> It'd be more like Dappy Hearth Day or something like that. <laughs> you can but, tell when you can tell when Christina gets excited in the chat room, and I encourage everybody. We we have a lot we have a lot of live listeners that don't like to join the chat for one reason or another, but you should check it out because when Christina gets excited, the, the words really get jumbled. It almost looks Arabic sometimes. I think it's I think it's Tim's Muslim calling in, and, and it's just Christina typing. 
Yeah, that's it. We did your hunt on your birthday. (laughs) I'll sing. There we go. Matt, I'll sing. I'll sing. We can sing the Muslim version of Happy Birthday to Tim in honor of (laughs) what happened. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Chris, I'll let you make the theater when we need him. Chris, I'll let you make the call on that one, friend. You got to get Shamir. (laughs) Shamir wants to sing Happy Birthday. Okay, it's time for me to tune out. I I hear my mother calling. <laughs> that's Tim's that's phone. That was actually Chris's phone. That's Chris calling Tim. <laughs> yeah, that's so, what we heard please, earlier somebody too. Somebody call me. Somebody call me. I, I think my house is on fire. I have to go now. Do you have a cricket clip? You need a cricket clip with the crickets chirping right after he says that. I, I need something hey. like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh no, that was like I'll a more of a lead up. Well, Tim, okay. I hope you have a hope you have a. Okay, go ahead, Christina. Go ahead. No, I I will really. Are you're not going to be Jameer? You don't want to sing with me? Somebody sing with me, and I'll sing. Chris, <clears> that's on, your guys. call, man. Wait. That's your call. No, actually, if anybody wanted to know what a train wreck sounds like, <laughs> just keep tuned in. That's why hey. he's the pastor, not the music pastor. That's right. They passed right. him over for that pastor. <laughs> oh my god! Absolutely. Oh they my goodness. Oh wait a minute, that might be Jameer. Hold on. Oh no. Oh, who, whose birthday is it? I do not know. Who who there? It's Tim. It's his birthday, Jameer. We gotta happy sing birthday Happy Birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to Tim! Let's see. Happy birthday to you! That is not Arabic. Assalamu alaikum. That's not enough, Jameer. Oh, another call. Now here, the phone lines are just going. That just sounded like you were sucking the helium out of a balloon. I think Jameer had a cold. I think that's what the problem That's okay. Take some oh, mic. look. See, everybody's going to call in, and we're going to sing. Irene's going to call in, and um, Lori will call in. With, like, the three minutes or four minutes left, we can all sing. How about that? Oh, Tim, would you me, like it's that? Three. It's three minutes, not four. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need... <laughs> so get to it. Okay. There's, there's, um, is he Asian? Sorry. <clears throat> there's Lori. Did you say Asian? Yeah, because, well, I saw in the chat room, is he Asian? <laughs> that just made me laugh. Oh, um, okay, so we have we have Lori. Did Irene call in? Yeah, we've got everybody on the line. Go ahead. We've got can, you, can, you, can, you, can you hear me? No. Nope. Yeah, I can hear you. <laughs> okay, we'll count, to th- we'll, we'll count down from three. At one, we'll all sing, okay? Oh, okay, and, you might, and, you're, and, and you'll probably hear my cat howling in the background. That's an added bonus. Oh, we got the dog and the howl too. I didn't know cats howled. <laughs> they do. They do now. Okay, are you ready, Tim? This is I'm for ready. you. Three, two, one. Happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Tim. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. This is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you. Choreography was lacking. There was more than that lacking. This really begs the question. Somebody you know needs what? to answer this. What did Tim ever do to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, happy birthday, nappy birthday, whatever. <laughs> happy birthday. <laughs> and there, the downloads will be about three. Yes. <laughs> no, they'll just show us a sharp cutoff right after <laughs> start singing. Well, you know what, Chris? Who, who, says, who says that Christians can't have fun? That's all we're saying here on Rapture Ready Radio. I'm going to be scarred the rest of the night. I'm going to have to get good and tired to fall asleep. Hey. Oh, well, you know, that's okay. I already got your resignation email, Chris. That was fast. He already had it prepared. Don't let him fool you. He just hit send. It was in the draft. And you know what, Matt? <laughs> I'll say yeah, this. I'm, I'm, the reason that we here. have fun is because we have the joy of the Lord. Amen. And on that note, we're going to close the show. Good night, everybody. We'll see you next <laughs> week on Rapture Ready Radio. Good night, guys. Good night. In the year the joy 18, a man for some mighty disease. I'm killing many a thousand on the land and on the sea. We've been told God has warned us, Jesus is coming soon. We've been told, God has warned us, Jesus is coming soon. Yeah. Lord and pray. We learn 
Wow, what a show.